So Psalm 89. A maskil of Ethan the Ezraite. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endued with power. Your hand is strong, your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness. For you are their glory and strength. And by your favor, you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our king to the Holy One of Israel. Once you spoke in a vision. To your faithful people you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have exalted up a young man among the people. I have found David, my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. No enemy will subject him to tribute. No wicked man will oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him, and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, You are my Father, my God, the Rock, my Saviour. I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, 
his throne as long as the heavens endure. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant of your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. All who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have turned back the edge of his sword and have not supported him in battle. You have put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with a mantle of shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all men. What man can live and not see death? Or save himself from the power of the grave? O Lord, where is your former great love? Which in your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked. How I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations, the taunts with which your enemies have mocked, O Lord, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Simon. i um, been part of this church for scarily nearly 10 years creeps up on you, that does. Uh, more often you'd see me playing in the band, um, uh, but this morning I've got the great privilege of talking to you all about God's faithfulness. Over the summer, uh, we've been looking at the fruits of the Spirit uh, in Galatians 5, and we've been seeing that whilst uh, they're most fully displayed in the character of God, and amazingly, we find that our lives are being transformed by the Holy Spirit's work. And this morning, we come to faithfulness. In the world around us, we see a lot of examples of faithfulness. Um, When I was thinking about this over the last few weeks, the, the first two examples that came to mind were a husband or wife and a dog. That's right. Now, a dog is a famously faithful animal. And there are many um, famous examples of where dogs have been faithful to their owners, even continuing to wait for them at train stations long after their owners have died. They stick with their owner, even through life's tough situations. 
And this reminded me of an old joke. Um, if you locked, locked your dog and your husband or wife in the boot of your car for an hour, which one of them is going to be pleased to see you when you let them out? <laughs> now, the obvious answer is the dog. Um, but actually, I think when we dig a bit deeper, that's where we can see faithfulness in marriage as well. Uh, faithfulness in marriage through hard times and the good is a really beautiful thing. A faithful marriage that begins with an active choice with the words, I will, and then continues. And that slightly flippant example I gave, you've let your husband or wife out the boot of the car, they have a choice. They've been wronged by you, and yet if they are rightly living out their marriage vows, they would be forgiving and continue to show you faithful love. And I'd argue that the dog's faithfulness is nowhere near as deep or profound. It doesn't have the same sense of being wronged. Uh, And when we see this faithfulness, this faithful love between two people, we rightly hold it up as something to be cherished. But when we look at the world around us, though we do see many examples of faithfulness, we so often see the opposite. We see marriages ending as people decide they no longer wish to stick by the words they once spoke. We value faithfulness, but we don't really expect it. Divorce is easy. The celebrity prenup is common. Even as people are promising to be faithful to one another, a backdoor for unfaithfulness is being set up. And think of a politician's manifesto promises, those words that commit them to take certain actions should they be elected. Once they're in power, the news story that yet another manifesto promise has been broken, it's not really even a shock to us anymore. And then if we think about the theme to the TV show Friends, there's a great chorus talking about sticking by one another, of being faithful. It has the line, I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. And it seems great, doesn't it? A friend who will be with us even through life's storms. But how does the chorus end? Because you're there for me too. And can you see the element of reciprocity there, the give and take? I'll be there for you, sure. But the reason really is because you're there for me as well. And so often in our world, that's how our faithfulness works. Our world values faithfulness, but doesn't expect it. He'll be faithful to his wife, but as soon as she no longer fulfills his needs or desires, he'll go look elsewhere. She'll promise anything to get elected, but once in power, she quickly goes back on her word. And again, this doesn't shock us. And we don't have to look very far at all when we honestly look at our lives, the words we speak and the promises we make, none of us can claim to be faithful, not always. God's faithfulness is not like ours. It's far greater. God's faithfulness can be seen from the start of the Bible right up to the very end. In fact, the story of the Bible is one big demonstration of God's faithfulness. And amazingly, by his spirit, he is changing us so that we can be faithful 
like he is faithful. This morning, we're going to focus in on Psalm 89, Um, so it'd be really helpful if you could keep that open in front of you. The Psalms are the songs and hymns of the people of Israel, and Psalm 89 is the final psalm in what's referred to as Book 3, and this psalm is one that would appear to have been written in a time of Israel's exile. That is, the time when the people of God have been defeated by their enemies, taken into captivity because of their rejection of God. And keep that in mind, um, and we'll return to that as we look through the psalm. So, let's dive in and look at the faithfulness of God. The psalm begins as a song of joy. The psalmist is rejoicing in the faithful love of God. Look with me from verse 1. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. As we look through the psalm this morning, we're going to see this theme repeated over and over. The words love and faithfulness occur eight times in the first 18 verses by my count. And this repeated theme of love and faithfulness is not unique to this psalm either. It's found throughout the Old Testament. The word, uh, the, the word for love here is the Hebrew word chesed. Excuse my pronunciation. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know any Hebrew, um, see, apart from that one. Uh, but this is one of the words that has stayed with me from when I've first been taught from the Psalms in the past. This Hebrew word chesed is sometimes translated as loving kindness. It's a steadfast love, an everlasting love, a faithful love. It's a love that doesn't change. It's not a love in response to something lovable. But as we see time and time again in the Bible, it's an active decision to love the unlovable. God decides that he is going to show love. Our God has shown us his chesed, his faithful love. And this is something to sing about. And the first place this song, this psalm, takes us to show the faithfulness of God is creation. We see in verse 2, you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. And then from verse 5, the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare to the Lord? Who is like Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, he is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Throughout the first 18 verses of this psalm, we get a brilliant description of the powerful, creating, faithful God. This is the God who founded the earth, who created the north and the south. God is the almighty creator of all things. He creates the heavens and the earth, and as verse 2 says, establishes his faithfulness. We think back to when God created the world in Genesis 1, and we get the repeated phrase, God said, let there be, and there was. What God says comes to be. His word can be trusted. 
He is the mighty creator. And as we look at what he has done in creation, we can see his faithfulness surrounding him. God is a God who speaks and things come to be. What he says is going to happen can be trusted to happen. His words achieve what they set out to do. His faithfulness to creation, though, doesn't stop with that initial act. His faithfulness is an ongoing faithfulness. And for example, we see in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Creation shows us that God's word can be trusted. Creation came to be and is kept going by his faithful word. And this is a faithfulness we so often, sadly, don't see in our world and in ourselves. We and the people around us are those whose words can't be trusted. Like we thought about at the start, broken promises are normal, leading to distrust and suspicion. We all cynically know that the politician promising to bring in a a raft of wonderful policies is is more likely just going to abandon them in favour of furthering their political career. And and think of that celebrity prenup, the prenuptial agreement, which is effectively a pre-agreed divorce arrangement uh, signed before a couple is even married. Instead of trusting each other's words... There's an insurance policy against the inevitable breaking of the marriage vows. Against this backdrop, uh, this world we live in, how beautiful would it be where there would be communities of people faithful in their words to each other with suspicion replaced by trust? And this is how, how God wants his people to live. And this relational faithfulness comes from the character of God, as we'll see in our next point. God is faithful to his covenant. God is faithful to his covenant. Look back at verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 89. Here we see the psalmist remembering the covenant that God has made with David. So a covenant is a formal promise, an agreement between two parties, And several times in the Old Testament, God makes covenants with his people. God had promised that he would make the people into a great nation and a land he would give them surrounded by his blessing. David was the greatest king of Israel, the king who defeated Israel's enemies. He brought about peace, established the place of God's blessing David was the king who in many ways was the answer to God's promises to his people in the Old Testament. The rule of King David, if it were, as it were, ticked all the covenant boxes. God's king was ruling over God's people, and it was great. And we see this in the psalm. We see the kingship of God and his chosen king. And read with me from verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness, for you are their glory and strength. 
By your favor, you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, the Holy One of Israel. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have raised up a young man from among the people. I have found David, my servant, with my sacred oil. I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not get the better of him. The wicked will not oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him, and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, my rock, my savior. And I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever. And my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever and his throne as long as the heavens endured. God raised up his promised king. He promises to sustain this king. Just as we saw in creation, God's word is faithful. And what he says comes to be. What he has brought about, he sustains by his word. This faithfulness is expressed towards a person, God's anointed king, and his people. And God is faithful to his king and to the people through some tough times. Just look back through that section we've just read. God strengthens his chosen king in battle as he is attacked by his enemy. God is the shield of his people. He is their strength. He is the rock. A rock is a wonderful place of safety. A rock to keep you from being engulfed from the rising tide. A rock to shelter you from the storm. At Troubara Quarry, um, a place very near Lancaster where I've enjoyed rock climbing over the years, there's a huge boulder. Uh, it's called the Shelter Stone. It's right in the middle of the quarry floor. And it was called that. It was called the Shelter Stone because when the quarry was still operational, the quarry workers would hide behind it when they were blasting the rock. Without the Shelter Stone, They'd be exposed to the blast, to the power of the explosion, to the flying pieces of rock. But behind the shelter stone, they were safe. This is the image of God, faithfully protecting his people from the storm, raising them above that rising tide of their enemy and providing a place of shelter. The psalm says it is God's faithful love that will be with David, as he conquers his enemy. God is loyal to his word, to his covenant promises. God sticks by his people and sustains them through the storms of life. When times get tough, um, our faithfulness to one another um, so often falters. I remember speaking with a friend um, who had just been starting a new romantic relationship, and he stated that if and when things got complicated or hard, he was out. Um, and this honest admission 
I think, lies within us all, really. Um, it might be unsaid, um, but we're pretty happy to stick with a friend when times are, times are good, enjoying their company. But when things get tough, we falter. I know this is certainly true of me. Um, at school, I had a group of friends. We were pretty close, four of us. We always hung around together at break and lunch times. Um, yeah, pretty faithful in that regard. Um, but when we were in year 10, I think it was, one of um, the guys in our group, one of my friends, um, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, he was in hospital for a long time, never really came back to school, um, ended up doing his A-levels at a local college instead. Um, and what about me, his faithful friend? Um, I never visited him in hospital. I effectively gave up on him. Um, I don't know why fully. Um, perhaps being 15, I just didn't know how to face it. But I know that he certainly deserved a better friend than me. My lack of faithfulness to him was plain to see. And if I'm honest, I still feel a great amount of sadness for the way our friendship ended and for the lack of my faithfulness towards him. But God does not give up. He does not give up on his people, even in the midst of war. God is faithful through the tough times of life. And this is the faithfulness he wants his people to show toward one another. We, we find it hard to be faithful when times are hard. But we also find it incredibly hard to be faithful towards someone who doesn't show faithfulness to us in return. Or someone who has wronged us, to someone who we think is somehow undeserving of our faithfulness. But once again, God is not like us. God is faithful to the undeserving. And that's what we're going to see now. God is faithful to the undeserving. Look with me at verse 30. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging. The covenants that God made with the people of Israel were what we call conditional. If the people kept their side of the covenant by obeying God's law and living for him, blessing would follow. If they broke the covenant by, it says, violating his decrees, his statutes, if they didn't walk according to God's laws and his rules, then God promised to bring punishment. And time and time again in the stories of the people of Israel, we see this come about. The people were not able to keep their side of the covenant. Even at Mount Sinai, where God was so visibly present on the mountain, causing it to shake violently, God speaking in thunder as he gave Israel their law and made a covenant with them. The people agreed to this covenant, and yet, even though they've had that terrifying encounter, seeing God's power and might firsthand in a very visible way, what do they do? They decide to make a golden statue of a calf to worship as God instead. The contrast would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. And this pattern continues. God's people 
are undeserving of anything but God's judgment. But we go back to Psalm 89 and read on to verse 33. But I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever. His throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. Even though the people were unfaithful to the covenant, rejecting God's good law and commandments, God's faithful love continues. God's faithfulness is so great that even human unfaithfulness and sin cannot change it. God's steadfast, enduring, faithful love continues. Human sin does not overcome God's faithfulness and love. Think back to what we saw before. God's faithful love is rock solid. And the image here um, even goes further. Look with me at verses 36 and 37. His line will continue forever. His throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. As certain as the sun and moon rise and fall in the sky, as that is as certain as the faithfulness is God. And when did you last wake up and wonder, will the sun rise today? And now I know some of you are thinking it's a good job the psalmist didn't grow up in the northwest, where cloud cover can mean we can go for weeks without actually seeing the sun. Um, but even then, we know the sun is there, bringing light even through the clouds. The sun rising is a certainty. The moon is always there. God's faithfulness to his promises is a certainty. God's faithfulness is always there. Not even our sin, that sin that makes us so undeserving of this faithfulness, can change God's character. But how can this be? How can God be faithful to the people and his covenant when the people and us repeatedly break his covenant? As we live in a faithless world where God and his faithfulness can often seem so distant, can we really trust that God will be faithful? Now, it's been a while since I've been to see a film in a cinema. Um, it's a combination of a few things, uh, three young children, COVID closing everything, and in all honesty, the convenience of streaming services. Um, but I remember times I've been to see a film, um, and I've been so deeply immersed in the experience. It's like being transported away into another world, and then when you walk back out onto the street, uh, especially when it's still light outside, um, it's a really jarring experience. It's a snap back to reality. And what felt so true just five, ten minutes ago suddenly comes into question. Now, I got a similar sense and a similar feeling when I read verses 38 to 51 of this psalm. 
you think back, we've seen all these amazing promises about the faithful God, how he's promised things, they've come about, and he's sustained his people. And yet when the psalmist walks out now and looks at the world around him, the reality he sees doesn't match with what he knows to be true. Now let's read it together from verse 38, if you look down. But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. All who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You've turned back the edge of his sword. You've not supported him in battle. You've put an end to his splendor, cast his throne to the ground. You've cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with a mantle of shame. The psalmist remembers the promises of God, ones that we've seen this morning. He remembers God's promise to never forsake his anointed. And yet, God is angry and has rejected the king. The covenant appears broken. The once strong city of David reduced to rubble. Instead of God's king conquering, he is defeated. Rather than being in a place of honor, he is mocked. His splendor and throne are cast to the ground. Rather than in eternal reign, God has cut short the days of his youth and covered him in shame. Now, this rejection is in one way to be expected. The people of God and the kings leading them had rejected God. They deserved the promised covenant punishment. The psalmist was writing in this time of exile, this punishment from God for breaking the covenant. It was, in one way, very deserved. But we've already seen that our sin and rejection of God will not derail his faithfulness. The psalmist has said as much. He promises to uphold his faithfulness even though we do not. And this, for the psalmist, is a problem. He's left with questions. And we see these in verses 46 to 51. We see the psalmist ask, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Faced with a world that seems to have defeated God and his purposes, the psalmist asks, will this be forever? When will God be revealed? When will he no longer be hidden? And then we see what man can live and not see death or save himself from the power of the grave. In the face of death, how how is God going to establish an eternal king? Even David, the great king, died. How can God's faithfulness overcome this great enemy of death? And then finally, the psalmist question, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? And in this final question, the psalmist has, is where is God's faithful love? 
In the midst of the suffering of exile, does God's hesed, his steadfast, faithful love continue? Ethan, the Ezraite who wrote this psalm, living through exile, couldn't see. He could not understand how the resolution could come. And yet, he trusts the faithful God to be faithful. He knows that God is a God that can be trusted. Just look at the the final verse of this psalm. Ethan, while grappling with the pain of living through exile, with God's promises and faithful love seeming so distant, responds with praise to God. He exclaims, praise be to God forever. Amen and amen. So often we too have the same questions as the psalmist. We too wonder where God is. Where is his faithful love in the pain of life? And yet, unlike Ethan, we do know how the resolution can come. In Jesus, we see God's chosen king, a descendant of David, one who fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies, and he is the one who answers the questions of Psalm 89. Verse 46 of Psalm 89 asks, How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Jesus is described in John's Gospel as the word become flesh who dwelt among us. He is God revealed. God is no longer hidden as in the time of exile. He's no longer hidden behind a curtain as he was in the temple, but he is visible. He is approachable. He's not hidden, but he is a light shining into a dark world. We know this time of waiting for God is over. And then back in Psalm 89, verse 48, who can live and not see death? Who can escape the power of the grave? And Jesus is the one who God raised from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death seemed to be the great enemy of God's promise for a descendant of David to be on the throne forever. Yet Jesus can reign because death has no hold on him. Verse 49 asks, Where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? And in 1 John 4, verse 9, we read, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. In a time of exile, it could so easily seem that God's love was not faithful, that he had withdrawn his love. But with the coming of Jesus, God's love is shown most clearly. His faithful love, his chesed, is proven. The question of the psalmist, where is your love, is answered emphatically with the coming of Jesus. Jesus showed us God's faithful love. He was the rightful king in heaven, loved by God, and yet he chose to enter this world to be the one, as Psalm 89 describes it, who was rejected, spurned, bearing God's anger, a king broken down 
with his enemies rejoicing over him. His days were cut off and he died in shame. But at the very point that it seemed God had broken his faithfulness to his covenant and his anointed king, at the cross, as Jesus died in shame with his enemies rejoicing over him, that is where we see God's faithful love most clearly and powerfully displayed. As Jesus died, having lived the perfect life that we could not, he bore the punishment that our unfaithfulness deserved. He made a way for unfaithful people to be counted as faithful covenant keepers. He made a way for God to show his faithfulness to his covenant promise. And as Jesus rose again, he defeated death and now reigns forever. Ethan the psalmist had to live in faith, trusting what he knew of God's faithfulness and his response was to praise God forever. How much more, as people who can see so much more fully the faithfulness of God to his purposes, should we sing his praises? God is faithful, ultimately demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And what difference should knowing God's faithfulness make to us? After all, in many ways, we too experience a life in exile, living in a place that's not our true home, where God's anointed king is so often not given the glory he deserves. I think I want this all to take away two things from this morning. We must be those who trust in God's faithfulness and be those that live faithful lives. We must trust in God's faithfulness and live faithful lives. Firstly, let's think about trusting in God's faithfulness. Verses 30 and 32 of Psalm 89 remind us that we must trust God's faithful word of judgment. The Bible clearly shows us that we are rightly deserving of God's judgment, of an eternity separated from him and all that is good, that is hell. And God is faithful in bringing this about. We cannot escape it by our good works. God is not going to go back on his word and brush it under the carpet. His words are not empty like ours are. In fact, in Galatians 5, right before we see the fruits of the Spirit we get a warning that all who live in a way contrary to God's way will not inherit the kingdom of God. And while uncomfortable for us at times, the faithful judgment of God is good. It would not be just or right for God to leave evil unpunished. And it would not be good for God to be unfaithful to his word. But while we see God's faithful judgment we must also trust in God's faithful mercy. Our sin means we are rightly deserving of judgment, but it will not derail God's plans to gather a people to himself. We may not have kept our side of the covenant, 
that Jesus has. We rely totally on Jesus' covenant-keeping life rather than our own feeble attempts. Trusting in God's faithfulness will mean letting go of legalistic rule-keeping in an effort to earn our salvation and trusting totally in our faithful God to save. Like the psalmist, we too can be those who respond with praise to God when we don't understand where God is in a world full of pain and unfaithfulness. We can look at the cross and know he is a God that can be trusted, a God full of steadfast, faithful, chesed love. And as we live remembering God's faithfulness, the amazing promise of Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is that for those of us who have the Spirit, these attributes of God are being developed and grown in our lives. God promises to be changing us into faithful people. And what will this look like? What will it look like for us to be people growing more like our faithful God? What will living faithfully be like? Well, we've seen that God is someone who is faithful to his word. Now, while we're not God, uh, we're not going to be creating anything by our words, we can be those who are faithful in what we say. As far as it depends on us, Our words should be faithful. Our words are to be those that can be trusted at face value. And some of the time, this might involve us saying saying no to things more often. So that we can enable ourselves to be really faithful to our yes. Making our, our yes be yes and our no be no. I know I can certainly be someone that over-promises in an effort to please other people. But this often ends up in an inability to be faithful to my word. I want to be someone, and I want us all to be people who are faithful to our words, and by the work of the Spirit, I can be sure that God will be changing me and all of us to be just that. When I say I will do something... I want that to be able to be trusted. God wants us to be those who, when we say something, that we too can be trusted. And this, as we thought about at the beginning, is going to be something that looks so different to the world around us. People just telling each other what they think people want to hear, but then go away and do something totally different. God's faithfulness is a faithfulness that endures through hardship. And as people becoming more like God, we too are going to be those who are faithful to each other through pain. Faithful to our suffering brothers and sisters. Faithful to those struggling through doubt. And this is often going to come with pain for us as we share in their suffering. But remember this type of Faithfulness was shown so clearly for us in Jesus. He was faithful, even though it brought him immense suffering and pain. 
and as we live faithfully to those through, uh, through hard times, we may find that we have to show faithfulness to those who can't show faithfulness back or don't show faithfulness back. Faithfulness may feel like a one-way street, showing faithfulness with no benefit to ourselves. This is so different to how we naturally think. We more naturally align to the theme song of Friends. I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. Rather, we should sing, I'll be there for you. Just leave it at that. Faithfulness in our world so often depends on the continued faithfulness of the other. Our faithfulness will not be like that. We have a faithful God who has shown us his faithful love throughout history. We have a faithful God who has made great promises for the future. And I hope this week, this month, indeed forever, you will praise the Lord for his great faithfulness and live a life of faithfulness as you are changed to be more like him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you are the faithful God that can be trusted through uh, the good times and the hard times of life. We thank you that we can look back at all you've said and all you've done and know that you are a God that can be trusted. We thank you that as we look at Jesus, as we look at his faithful life, his death on the cross and his rising again, we know that we can trust your faithful love to continue. We thank you that you have shown your faithful love to us. We pray that you would be changing us to be more like you. Grow your faithfulness in us. Help us to show faithfulness to one another. Help us to be those that live with faithful speech, faithful actions, and faithfulness in hard times. And we pray that you would be continuing to be faithful like you promised to be. Keep us trusting in you. Amen.